Father, we come before you, Lord, and we lift this night up to you. Father, we want it to be all about you. We thank you. We praise you. We're grateful for the example that Joseph gave us, Lord. We just, um, we look to him and we see the things that we need to work on, the things that we do. He's a man of integrity and uh, such a wonderful lesson for us to follow and to look to and um, to aspire. Father, we just, um, I lift up this whole night. I lift up all the women preparing the food, Father, that they would have gotten here and things would be smooth. Father, I pray that you would just bless the small group times, um, just that it would be sweet fellowship and that um, we just would learn to love on each other like you want us to love each other. Father, I pray for the child care that it would just go smoothly, Lord, and that you, we thank you for the worship for Matt, for Abby doing sound, Father. I thank you for all the hands that go into putting the Bible study together. I thank you for Claudia and all the women that step up to serve, Father. We're grateful, we're blessed, and we just lift this time up to you and we ask that you be over everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we're in chapter 50 of Genesis. It's our last lesson, lesson 9. So from the last lesson we studied, it ended with Jacob um, commanding his sons, and then he drew up his feet and to the bed, into the bed, and he breathed his last, and he was gathered to his people. So that's where we ended. So this week, we start with Genesis 51, and we read that, Then Joseph fell on his father's face and wept over him and kissed him. It is with great sadness that Jacob passes. And we get Joseph's reaction here, but we don't get his brother's reaction. I think the reaction, being singular, is to highlight Joseph's grief and not his brother's. When we know that they were all grieving too. Um, My father left when I was six years old. Um... The last time I saw him was when I was nine for a few weeks. And then I did not connect with him or see him. Is it too loud? I didn't connect with him again until I was 21. So I even went to a funeral in Denver. My great uncle died. And I sat in the back. And my dad looked back at me and kind of was like, who is that? And he said to my grandmother, who's that young woman in the back? He didn't recognize me. And uh, she goes, I don't know. Do you think I know everybody he knew? <laughs> and he left it alone. So he didn't even recognize me. But um, it was nice because I, um, I reconnected with him. I had some really special times with him. He died when I was 30. Um, and we reconciled. Everything was great. Um, but when he passed, my, my oldest sister, she had reconnected with him too. But my middle sister had not seen him until the last year of his life. So we both reconnected. In that last, last year of his life, we would go up and see him in Denver. But she never had really time to talk to him, time to, you know, finish things with him. So when he died at his funeral... She sobbed uncontrollably. And I remember my, uh, my oldest sister looking and going, what is with her? And, you know, and, and, well, that's my oldest sister. So at the time, I thought, she's grieving the dad 
that she didn't have, the one that she didn't reconcile, the one that she didn't finish things with. She was grieving what she didn't have. And I think this might be part of where Joseph is grieving, too, is that he had that separation with his dad. He is grieving that he did not have his dad through his whole life. So I think that might be part of his grief. Um, Let's read down in 2 and 3. As Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father, so the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for him, for such are the days required for those who are embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him seventy days. A royal mourning was seventy-two days, so that Jacob was mourned for seventy days. He was greatly honored by the nation of Egypt. Let's go to four four through six. And I'm going to summarize a lot of this because I could be standing up here reading all night. And, and I think they say a lot of the same thing over and over again. So when the days of mourning were past, Joseph spoke to Pharaoh's household, asking for their help in telling of the oath he had made to his father to bury him back in Canaan. With a promise of his return, so Pharaoh said, yes, go. I think it's out of respect that um, he did not go himself and ask Pharaoh for leave to bury his father, but that he asked the household for intercession on his behalf to take his father back. Oaths were respected and revered, and a solemn promise that Pharaoh would completely understand. Matthew Henry said, Modesty is a great ornament to dignity. So let's uh, go to 7 through 9, and I'm going to summarize again. So Joseph goes to bury his father with all the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all the leaders of the land of Egypt, all the house of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's house. They only left their children and their animals behind. And they went with both chariots and horsemen. So it was a very great gathering, and it was a very great procession. So as I read this, I could not help but think that this is the route and this is the journey That should have been. The nation of Israel should have gone straight shot up to Canaan instead of wandering around in the desert. Um, No wandering around, just going up. And isn't that how we are too? We shouldn't wander around. We get sent in the desert because we're not obeying. So I think this was a, a good look at how it should have been when they finally made that journey. So let's go to 10 through 11. So, again, I'm summarizing. They came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan, and they mourned for seven days. When the Canaanites saw this, they said, This is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, its name is, um, is, was called Abel Mizram, which is beyond the Jordan, which is what it was. Um, just think of what this meant for Jacob, that he was so loved and so honored to have not only his family, but the Egyptians mourning his loss. When just, we just read back in Genesis 43:32, So they sent him a place, meaning Joseph, by himself, and them by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Because the Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the, Hebrew, the Egyptians. So I'm kind of wondering on this journey, did they talk? Did they eat together? Were they separated? You know, you kind of wonder how they went up since they were all mourning. They had something in common. 
So, and the morning for jo- Jacob was so great that they named a place for it, standing it as a testimony of that respect. But in stark contrast to what happened with the next generation of Egyptians, to what happened when they left. Can you imagine this huge procession of both Hebrews and the Egyptians? The unity and their grief is a testimony to what Jacob meant for all of them. So, let's go to 12 through 14. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan and buried him in the cave of the field of Machpelah before Mamre, which Abraham bought with the field with the field from Ephron, the Hittite, as proper, property for a burial place. And after he had buried his father, Joseph returned to Egypt, he and his brothers, and all who went with him to bury his father. It is also significant that they took Jacob back to the promised land and buried him with Abraham and Isaac. Forever the promises of God are linked to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think of the stark difference if Jacob had not been brought back to be buried in the promised land. It would be, well, two are here, but he's back in Egypt. It just doesn't seem right. So it's notable that he is buried back with his ancestors, with his father and his grandfather. Also the time they had on the return to Egypt, mourning the lost, sitting around the campfire at night, on the journey. Think about that. You go to a funeral and afterwards you reminisce, you talk about different things. You know, it's a time of memory, memori- you know, remembering things. And thinking of that with the flood of memories of their life with their father and that dark period that they sold their brother into slavery. How can you get past that time? It hung over them like a weight. An unnecessary weight. They thought with the loss of their father that Joseph would respond differently to them. They needlessly worried and dug up all the drama of the past. How many times do we take what God has forgiven us for and we bring it back in shame and guilt when God has already removed it? Sadly, this is where the brothers unfortunately have come back to. And also, How many times have we forgiven somebody of something and we start mulling it over in our brain and we dredge it all back up too? So we do that ourselves. I mean, I do it. We were talking in our group that we all, you forgive somebody of something, but then you start thinking about it again and we just need to let it go. If God's forgiven, we've forgiven, we have to let it go. So let's go to 15 through 19. So when Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he commanded saying, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespasses of the servants of God of your father. And Joseph wept. When they spoke to him, when his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? Joseph clearly directs them back to God in repentance and reassures them of his 
their place with him. For all the power given to him and the place in society Joseph has been blessed with, he is still a man of humility and grace. He weeps over their continued pleas of forgiveness when it is long past, securely and absolutely forgiven. There is never a reminder from him of the dream or of them bowing down to him. When once again, here they are, bowing down to him, pledging their servanthood, he lovingly points them back to God, revealing his character and reminding them of God's purpose. So let's go to 20. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. 21, now therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. So Charles Swindoll summed this up really nice. And this is a book that um, we were reading for the study on the side. So he says, he asked his brother, saying in effect, Brothers, listen to me. Let's get this cleared up for the last time. I know what you did, and I know what you, what, it, what you meant by it. I know you meant to do me evil. Okay? I understand all that. That was your plan. But God had other plans. And he turned the results of your evil intentions into something good. At one time, I did not understand all this. But that time is long past. Get this straight. God meant it all for good. Joseph never stood taller than at this moment in his life. As Churchill would say, it was his finest hour. So I thought that was good how he put that. So another good scripture for this is Romans 12, 9, and 10. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another, with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. This is Joseph, isn't it? We also need to be careful to what we think evil is these days and what is good. In the world's economy, it's all twisted and it's all backwards. I mean, you can just watch the news and watch what they're saying about Christians and, and conservatives, and you know that it's, it's all twisted the wrong way. Um, Someone recently didn't like what I said, and I was trying to talk to them, and they called it evil. And I asked her, I said, you know, are you calling me evil? What, what are you talking about? It didn't make sense. And she said, anything that I don't like is evil. And I was like, that's not the scripture. <laughs> so I was trying to, you know, tell her what the scripture meant, that, you know, evil is what God calls evil, not what we call evil. But the world nowadays calls good evil. So, and uh, the scripture that, that goes with this is Isaiah 5, 20. Uh, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And that's what's happening these days. So let's go down to 22 to 23. So Je- Joseph dwelt, dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph saw Ephraim's children to the third generation. The children of Machir, the son of Manasseh, 
were also brought up on Joseph's knees. So Joseph is our perfect example of grace. We go from this wonderful expression to how blessed his life was, watching his grandchildren growing up and him being a hands-on grandfather. I always wanted to be the fun aunt to my nieces. You know, don't we want to be the fun aunt to people or to, you know, our family? But my sisters had very lax parenting skills. And I have, I'm the disciplinarian. Your yes means yes. Your no means no. I'm a disciplinarian. So the fun aunt never happened. Never. So, and that's okay. Because I would rather, you know, do what God wants us to do than be the fun aunt. So, um... I have a fractured, strained relationship with both of my nieces. One's in her 40s and one's in her 20s, and it's, it's not been good. I took my youngest niece and tried to bless her and have fun. I took her for two weeks one summer, and um, it turned out a lot differently than I thought. It turned out to be a big mess because I didn't let her do what her mother did. I mean, I had rules in my house that she didn't have to follow, so she left, and it was horrible horrible. So we had a family reunion in 2019. It was all the females in the family. So we go and my sister pulls me aside and she says, you can't look at her and you can't talk to her. So for the whole weekend. So my cousin overhears this and she goes, she came to me and she goes, why can't you look at her? Why can't you talk to her? And I unfortunately told her why. And it didn't put my sister in a very good light because the things that happened, I mean, my cousin was more in line with my parenting than my sister's. So my sister overheard, so she was embarrassed. So I embarrassed my niece when she was in town with me. I embarrassed my sister um, by telling my cousin. And um, some other things happened with my other niece that weekend that you know, when you talk to somebody about something and you're nice about it, she, like, got really upset with me, and I did not handle it very well. I've learned somebody gets upset with you, you don't have to get upset, too. And my daughter later said, Mom, you didn't handle that very well. And I went, yeah, I didn't. So my sister told me my other niece was embarrassed by what I said to her in front of everybody. So in my family embarrassment. I've asked for forgiveness. Nobody will forgive me. So embarrassment in my family is the unpardonable sin. (laughs) If I sold them into slavery, I wonder if they would forgive me, but embarrassment, no. So um, let's see. When I, I have learned from Joseph to stay calm and to do my best, apologize, um, and forgive, even if the other person won't forgive me or won't ask for forgiveness. You have to just let it go. So let's go to 24 and 25. And Joseph said to his brethren, I am dying, but God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Then Joseph took an oath from the children of Israel, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from here. Even his last words were, of encouragement to his brethren, to not lose hope. He could have reminded them of who he was, how instrumental he was in saving the nation, recounting the greatness of his life and how God had used him. 
but he didn't. It's also a message of faith. He did not ask them to carry his bones up to Canaan upon his death. No, it was when God visits you. He surely will, no question of, then you will carry my bones from here. He made them take an oath, and he reminds them of the oath from God for the promised land. He swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Joseph was a living example of Romans 8.28, and we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And Romans 12.17, repay no one evil for evil, have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Joseph lived a life free of bitterness. His focus was always on the Lord, always looking for God's higher purpose in everything, no matter what happened to him. He also died in peace, being right with all. He was right with God, and he made peace with his brothers. There is not an asterisk or a side note in all the recounts of Joseph in the Bible. It's always about faith, blessing, and how God was with him. So let's go on to 26. So Joseph died being 110 years old, and they embalmed him, and he was put in a coffin in Egypt. So there's an empty tomb in Egypt that um, they have found. It has markings of a Hebrew, so they knew that a Hebrew was buried in this tomb. Um, it has a statue with it that is badly damaged, but you can see that the several remaining parts that are there, that it was for a nobleman. It was somebody who was prestigious. And it, it had quite the hairdo on it, too, which I think is funny to think of Joseph with all this bouffant, this big hair. So, And it dates back to exactly the same time as Joseph. It's funny, we got in discussion this morning about people were talking about the femur bone and how big would this box be. They embalmed him. We're talking, you know, he was a man, he was embalmed, and he was kept there. So then they start talking about what would they carry him, would men carry him, would a cart carry him. We got a whole conversation about how Joseph's bones got from Egypt back to Canaan. But, you know, God wanted him back, so God provides, right? So, but it's interesting. You can look it up online and look into, you know, that they have found this place. So I'm grateful for the godly example that Joseph gave us to, a life, uh, to live a life of integrity and forgiveness, even the, to those who don't deserve it, to live in peace with all. And that means the, the hard family members, the hard friends, the hard husband. <laughs> it means that we're to live in peace with everyone. We do these studies to grow and to allow God to mold us into the women of integrity. It's not always easy. Many times it's swallowing our pride and humbling ourselves, learning to work through things God's way, dying to our old ways and how we dealt with life. But we learn to grow, and our goal is to grow closer to him and bring glory to him in all of life, the good, the bad, and the ugly.